Well, if you, if you have your Bible, or you can just follow in the bulletin, uh, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 4 this morning. Revelation 4. And uh, that whole chapter is there in the order of worship, so you can follow there if you need to. Know a lot of you know that um, my family was away this summer, and um, through a really amazing provision, we got to be in England for four weeks. One of the real treats of being in England as a family was the museums, and one of the real treats of English museums is the art, and in particular, getting to see uh, Impressionists. That's uh, something that my wife is really fond of, and we got to see some of these famous works in real life, and, and maybe you've seen some of these. Um, if you know what Impressionist art is like, it is not of a classical nature. It's, it's not painted where it's supposed to look like almost a, a photograph where you can see, you know, just the, the shadow on someone's muscle or, or the, the, you know, the, the shine on the little grape in the bowl. It, it's not supposed to look like a photograph. It, it gives you an impression. And so if you, if you look at an Impressionist piece and it's water lilies or it's haystacks at different times of day, or it's a bridge in a city in the fog. If you look at that, and you're trying to figure out, is that bridge 150 feet long or 170 feet long? You're not looking at it right. If you hyper-scrutinize it, you begin to you tear the heart out of it. Now, the reason I bring that up is because this is a text that is... It, there's just a lot of images coming at us. And I, I, if you're, especially if you're visiting and have not been around us, I want you to hear this loud and clear. Everything there is important. Uh, all the colors, all the expressions, all the, everything is important. It's all the Word of God. That's why we look at all of it. But if we try to take every image and hyper-scrutinize it, you'll miss the overall impression. And the overall impression is something that God is giving to churches in crisis. These are churches with internal problems. The, the previous two chapters are about their strengths and their problems, local churches. And really, through them, we've got a model of all the local churches with all our problems all over the world for the rest of time. But you also have externally, it's a Roman world and things are heating up toward Christians and heating up doesn't just mean people are more mean to me than they used to mean, uh, than they used to be. It can be things like martyrdom, torture. The impression that's given by God, not by John's imagination, given by God in Revelation 4 is to help people like us in the normal Christian life in a very fallen world. Revelation chapter 4. After this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and seated on the thrones were twenty-four elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, and rumblings 
and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion. The second living creature like an ox. The third living creature with the face of a man. And the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him who is seated on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, as we sing, as we hear, as we open ourselves to your word here, on earth in this room in Greenville. We want in some way to participate what happens around your throne. We cannot manufacture that through feeling or sound, through our order of worship. We cannot manufacture it. So would you now enable us to hear and see who you are? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Since we're in Revelation, and there's so much here that has mystery to it, let me start off with a riddle. I don't mean a riddle that you tell, but something that's a riddle in the Old Testament. The book of Exodus, and we said in Revelation, we're going to be looking back at the Old Testament all the time. Have to do that if we're going to navigate Revelation with wisdom. Old Testament book of Exodus, there's this big block of chapters at the end, second book of the Bible, and it's these very specific instructions about how to build the tabernacle. You know, the tabernacle was sort of the um, pre-temple temple. temple. It was a tent version before the permanent temple. And at the beginning of the instructions, this is in Exodus 25, God says something, and there's, there's there's a riddle to it. He says, Moses, I want you to build the tabernacle according to the pattern that I showed you on the mountain. Now, that's weird because if something has a pattern, the reason you have a pattern is so that multiple things can conform to the pattern. Whether it's a dress or architectural plans, you need one pattern so that there'll be consistency in these different instances, but there was only one tabernacle. There weren't five or ten in different spots of the earth. There was just one. What is the one-of-a-kind tabernacle patterned after? What's like it? And there's clues 
in the rest of the Old Testament to answer that riddle, but it's really in the New Testament that you get an explicit answer, especially in the book of Hebrews, which is in the New Testament, but it's written for a very Jewish audience. And it says this, that the earthly tabernacle and then the earthly temple was a copy. It was a shadow of something else. And the something else is the real temple. And the real temple is where God lives. Now think about this. The holiest place in the tabernacle, or then eventually in the temple, was the inner room where the Ark of the Covenant was. It was the Holy of Holies. And if anyone but the high priest went in that room or even mishandled the Ark of the Covenant, they died. And the high priest, if he went in any day but the Day of Atonement, or if he went in on that day in the wrong way, he died from mishandling the copy. Revelation 4 is God letting a man go into the actual, not the copy, not the shadow, the actual Holy of Holies and letting a mortal, sinful man see it and hear it and then write it down so he can share it with us. It's, it's quite a passage. And it doesn't take an English major to, to figure out that the dominant term is what? It, just, it's, it said this word so much it may have felt redundant. The dominant term is the throne. So let's look at two things. First off, the position of the throne in this vision that John is having that God gives him. It's not one he makes up. The position of the throne and then the celebration at the throne. The position of the throne, the celebration at the throne. All right, first, what's the position of the throne? And I want to look at this in two ways. First off, what's its position in what John is seeing in this vision of the heavenly throne room, the heavenly court, where's the throne? But I also want to look at it in terms of what's the position of this vision in the book of Revelation? Why is it situated where it is and why is that important? All right, so first off, just where's the throne in the vision? It's interesting, all these prepositional phrases that have the throne as the object and you get things are around the throne or they're from the throne or they're before the throne, or there's someone who's on the throne. And what is that telling us? The throne is the center of everything in heaven. Heaven is heaven because the throne is the center. Uh, what is, what's around it? You've got four living creatures. We're going to get to them in a minute. You've got a circle of other thrones with 24 elders in white and golden crowns around the throne. We're going to get to that. From the throne, flashes of lightning, thunders, and rumblings. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had a close call with lightning. I've, I've never been right next to it. I've been as close as I care to be to lightning. And the closest I ever came to it was when I was uh, driving somewhere. I was driving through farmland in this terrific thunderstorm and just happened to be at the right place in the right time. And a bolt of lightning hit near my car, and it didn't hit a tree. It didn't hit 
a light pole. It just struck the soil. And I, I was close enough, I could see the blue edges of the lightning bolt. And, and I saw when it hit, because there were no plants growing, I guess it was after harvest, when it struck the soil, sparks flew out of soil. This is not pretend lightning. But from the throne, lightning, rumblings, thunders, the kind you don't just hear but you feel. Before the throne, a sea that's like glass or crystal. And that might make us wonder, are you talking about a sea that's the size of an actual sea? Because if you're talking about an actual sea... How big is this throne room? And John doesn't go into detail. It's an impression. But some listeners would have thought back to another place in the Old Testament, in Exodus, when God came down on Mount Sinai. In fact, this is the chapter before he says, build it according to the pattern. Moses and his brother Aaron, and Aaron's two sons, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 Israelite elders go up on Mount Sinai And they see the Lord, and in front of Him is something like, what He says is like a pavement of sapphire. Of course, the emphasis is not what's around the throne, although that's there, or what's coming from the throne, or what's before the throne. Of course, there's seven torches, seven spirits of God, the seven spirits of God. But it's the one on the throne. And it's amazing how much restraint John shows in the details here. What does the one on the throne look like? He looks like Jasper. Every commentary I read about Revelation described Jasper differently. And so you picture John trying to convey to someone, what did God look like? He looked like Jasper. Well, what do you mean? John might have said... I know. I know. Jasper tends to be lighter in color. It's translucent. It it glows if light passes through it. It says he looks like carnelian, which is red. There's a rainbow, an emerald rainbow around the throne, green. So what he's seeing is incredible, unobstructed power and colors, and beauty. That's the vision. And the throne's at the center of it. Now, here's the question. Why are we being shown this? And here's where I want to say, think about the position of the throne in the whole book. The book is about normal Christians in the tribulation of this world. And by tribulation, I don't mean a big, scary future thing, although it talks about that. But the hardship of following Christ in a fallen world that leans against Christ and opposes Him. And some of them are looking at not only the hardship, just kind of garden variety Christian life in resistance, but they're looking at things like you might get arrested and killed. You might get thrown to the lions. You might get cut in half. We just got through the last two chapters of these messages to seven churches looking at their problems within 
and the threats without. And then Jesus says, Jesus is the one with the voice like a trumpet. He says, I want to show you something. And of all the things he could show first, what is it? Here's how it's going to turn out. Here's exactly what Rome is going to do 50 years from now, and I'm going to supernaturally show you. What's the first thing God shows? The first thing God shows is the throne. What do normal struggling Christians under hardship and pain need first? They first need the throne. Okay, think about this. We, some of you are real exercise hounds, but, uh, but, but many of us are not. And uh, many of us are, are, are feeling the need in our bodies for more exercise. Now, you know, someone can sit down with you and walk you through all the details of you, you got to do this. You, you just, you got to get your heart rate up. You know, got to do the cardio thing for your heart. You're not getting any younger. Or you need to move your blood around and get your serotonin going and you feel better. You know, it lifts your mood. Or you got to keep your muscle tone up. You know, you're not a spring chicken anymore. You got to work out some, do some strength training. And that's all well and good and it can be helpful. But typically, that's not what gets people out the door, does it? And, you know, I'm going to use this example. Different things would affect different people in a different way. But you know how every Rocky movie has a training scene? And, you know, the classic one is the first one. And I went back and watched this actually multiple times this past week. And it just struck me, who thought this up? Who thought this thing up that became iconic where there's a guy, just this meathead guy, and he works out to a trumpet fanfare? Who, it, this had to have been made in the 70s, you know? And so I watched that scene again. Do you know how that scene starts? I had forgotten this. You may be thinking when he's running through, I think it's Little Italy and Philadelphia, but do you, you remember the first scene when the trumpets start? It's, I think, sunrise, and... Uh, Rocky's running through this. It just looks like this trash field. It's like the most urban, ugly thing. There's this elevated train behind him when the sun's coming up. And I'd never noticed this before. He's holding bricks. Like, he's so poor, he works out with bricks. You know, and he's just running in Chuck Taylor shoes and just the most basic, just kind of gray warm-ups. And he's just kind of doing the... He's just, he's just doing the best he can. And just the whole... I mean, he's punching in a meat packing. It's just unbelievable. And toward the end, right before he runs up the steps, there's this scene where he's running along, I guess you'd call it a wharf, and there's this long schooner. And this must have been the fastest Sylvester Stallone ever ran in his life. You know, it's at the end of this run. Maybe he's been running for an hour and a half, and he just breaks into an all-out sprint. And you just look at him, and you just want to kiss him. You know, you just, you're so poor, and you're working so hard. I just love you. And it's funny how, again, it doesn't work for everybody. You can look at something like that and go, I think I want to do push-ups. I think I, I think I need to run. And that clip gives you no data about exercise or, or physiology. But that or something like it, whether it's a sports clip or reading about uh, an explorer or whatever, that there are things that touch the heart. We are being given, those churches are being given, but we are being given a vision of the throne because God wants to touch the heart. And here's the thing that we've got to think about. 
everyone in here has already had their heart touched by something or someone that did something for us at such a core level that we enthroned it. And our lives will always bend toward what we enthroned. You, you will bend into it. It's one thing to want a good name. Scripture commends having a good name. But if you enthrone the opinion of others, the approval of others, you will do anything. That it will be like you have prostrated yourself before it. Whatever time, whatever energy, I will give it to you all. Glory and honor be yours. When we look at our lives, we tend to think in terms of, okay, here's my life, it's this behavior, how do I change the behaviors I I don't like? And it may be that you're sitting here right now and you feel overwhelmed. I feel like I'm overextended and I'm just keeping the trains running on time. I don't feel fresh, I don't feel energized, I feel like I just kind of just get by and my life is too fast. And maybe what you're thinking is, the answer to that is that I'm going to be more disciplined. I'll have better discipline and I'll have a better schedule and I'll get an iPhone 5 and I'll get on top of it. Not that there's anything wrong with the iPhone 5. When really the real heart issue may be that you have enthroned something that demands that and you'll never be able to get on top of it. Uh, It's one thing to want to be industrious and to be fruitful. It's another thing to enthrone work. It's one thing to love a child and serve a child. It's another thing to enthrone your family. So other relationships, other commitments, the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, if it ever conflicts with what is on the throne, it always loses. Because we worship this. And what God is giving us a vision of, no one is supposed to sit on the throne that is at the center, but Him. And heaven knows it. Heaven won't let anyone or anything else in it. That's the position of the throne. And that's the first thing that we need to see. Now, what's the celebration at the throne? All right, strap in. Let's look at this two ways. Um, the cel- what's being celebrated and then the celebrants. What's being celebrated? Who God is and what He did. Let's read this passage, verse 8. This is the four living creatures. And what do they say? What do they celebrate? What we would call 24-7 without stop. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. In the Old Testament... There's a device that's used in Hebrew. When you want to emphasize something, you repeat it. When God told Adam and Eve, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The day that you eat of it, now we translate in English, you will surely die. What we're trying to come to grips with is the fact that in Hebrew it says, if you eat of that tree, you will die, die. It's emphatic. But it seems that there is no other place besides this passage in Isaiah 6, which says the same thing. 
where the Scriptures say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He is completely and utterly set apart and untouched by anything sinful or evil or tainted or twisted. Holy, holy, holy. And He's almighty. Does that mean He can do anything? No. He can't do anything unholy. He cannot sin. But anything that is according to His holy purposes, anything, He can do it. He decrees it and He accomplishes it and nothing thwarts Him. He always has been. He is and He always will be fully God. Did you notice what, he, did you notice what God said in chapter 4? Nothing. He is praised for who He is without saying anything. What did He do? Verse 11. Worthy are You, our Lord and God. And by the way, this is just this is fascinating. We can't say for sure when Revelation was written. It's hard to put an exact date on it. Very brilliant scholars disagree. But it may have been written while a man named Domitian, or Domitian, I've heard it pronounced both ways, was Caesar. And one of the things that Domitian required be said of him is the creed that he was Lord and our God. That's not the creed of the 24 elders. That's not the creed of the four living creatures. Worthy are you, our Lord and God. Why? To receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Every empire, every Caesar, every brick in our city, every microbe, every person I know, I, were created by God, and I don't even exist without the power of God. It's not just that He started me and I now exist on my own power. He had to create me and He has to enable me to keep existing. That's the celebration all the time. Who are the celebrants? All right. You've got a circle of 24 thrones. Until this week, I thought those were men. Now, I don't want to tell you wrong, but the more I've studied it, it seems to be that the evidence points in another direction. Here's why I say that. In the next chapter, these 24 elders, when they talk about the people of God, when they talk about the church, they'll refer to the people of God as them, not us. In chapter 14 of Revelation, when the army of the Lamb of God, the the people of God, when they sing to heaven and heaven receives it, the Lamb is there and the four living creatures are there and the 24 elders are there, that would seem inappropriate for fellow sinners to receive that. Maybe it's the case, I'm giving this a maybe, that in the same way that things that had copies on earth have their fulfillment in heaven, that in the way that there were elders, a council of elders in Israel, and there are a council of elders in local churches like this, 
that there is a corresponding ultimate angelic council of elders that the heavenly hosts have a session and they're seated on thrones, golden crowns, dressed in white. And when they celebrate, they bow before Him and they take their thrones and they cast them to the center, to the throne. What about the four living creatures? Okay, let's say this reverently. They are crazy looking. They are covered with eyes. It's emphatic. They're around. They're behind. They're within. Don't think like one, one, one. I mean, they are covered with blinking, looking eyes. Six wings. It doesn't say one's an ox, one's an e. It looks like an ox, like an eagle in flight. Face of a man. What are these things? And this draws from a vision of seraphim in Isaiah 6, but it's not exactly like the seraphim. And it draws from a vision of cherubim in Ezekiel 1 and 10, but it's not exactly like the cherubim. What are these things? And I'm not going to embarrass him, but I was talking with one of our church members who has actually depicted this artistically. And as I was looking at this picture, I said, because he had the audacity to draw the description. And when I saw what he drew, I just went... Good night. I can't get my mind around these things to which this church member said, and they love God. Now, picture this. I've asked myself, am I going to regret this illustration? I don't think I am. Let's say there were extraterrestrials. I'm not arguing for them. Please don't send me emails or links arguing for or against extraterrestrials, biblically or scientifically. I respect your opinions, but that's not the point. But let's say there were extraterrestrials. And let's say they're not like the kind of classic, you know, like real smooth gray skin and big dark shiny bulby eyes and kind of the close encounters of the third kind aliens. Because we know they have superior intelligence, but you kind of look at them and go, I think I'd be better at golf than you. Like, you're better at things and I'm better at things. But... But picture an alien, like what if it was an alien the size of the tallest building downtown and it's covered in spikes, superior intelligence, just unparalleled strength. And what if it came to our city and through some means, technological or its intelligence, it was able to speak to us and we all gathered to see this thing in Greenville. And when it spoke, what if it said... I thank the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob for every life and blessing. Wouldn't that make us go? I just kind of thought that aliens were in a different zone. Like, they, like, you don't have quiet times. You don't think about these things. But if something that powerful and different and otherworldly, I'm not even calling it a he or she, it's an it. If it said, I owe everything to God, wouldn't that up the ante? In a sense, it would kind of make you go back to your Bible and say, I didn't know he was that in control. What has the Bible been saying along? He created everything, everywhere, and is over all, and is worthy of all worship from everyone and everything. 
Now, that's my crazy illustration. Here's what did happen one time. Shepherds were out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone round about them. Terrified them. And as we've said before, usually in Christmas art, this is depicted where like an angel is sort of floating in the sky, you know, talking over them. And then finally there's kind of a choir up in the sky. And we've talked about like they hold banners that say peace on earth. And one has one end and the other. And the text never says they're in the sky. It says they're out in their fields. And then all of a sudden there's this fire messenger, one, that appears to them. And he speaks. And then it says... There was a multitude of the heavenly hosts. It's the picture of the shepherds look around and they're surrounded by an entire military of burning messengers. And what do they say? Glory to God in the highest. And so the shepherds go do what they talked about. They go to Bethlehem and they find the child. And I'm so glad Luke recorded this little part. Is that It says they return back to their fields glorifying and praising what? Angels? They go back to the field talking about angels. They return glorifying and praising God. That the rest of their lives you would have found these guys, maybe just by the fire at night with their staff, just out there with their sheep and just the shepherds saying, all I know is, if God's bigger than they are, He's amazing. He is great. And just got in their hearts. We are not supposed to look at the 24 elders or the four living creatures and go, now what exactly is their DNA structure? We are to say, if they bend toward Him, I mean, don't you get the sense they could kill anybody or anything single-handedly? But if they bend toward Him, it says in verse 9, they thank Him. Thank you for creating us. Thank you for giving us life. Thank you that we serve you. Thank you for the great God you are. And they do it all the time. If that's who God is, then God is it. He is the one that we celebrate. Well, all right. What do we do with all this? If you're here and you don't yet know where you're coming from spiritually, maybe you'd say, I'm a spiritual person, I'm not religious, I'm kind of trying this on, I don't know what I conclude yet. I want you to think about this vision in terms of your life right now. If God is this holy, if He's holy, 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 And if He created everybody and everything everywhere, you know what this means. And it doesn't just mean it for you, but I want to talk to you. It means we must answer to Him. And if this is a God from whom His throne come flashes of lightning and fire, then, you know, my unemployment or my desire for a spouse or this problem in my life, that is the least of our worries. the great concern would be to stand before Him and not be ready. But I want you to see something. This is the little detail that 
on the weight of the vision, you can miss it. How does the text start? After this I looked, and behold... And that's John saying, Look, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, that's Jesus Christ's voice, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. And you know what? If we only had the book of Revelation, we could not say what I'm about to say. But the other 65 books of the Bible make this clear, is that Jesus Christ is not just saying that to John. He is saying that to sinners all over the world. He is saying, do you see this room? Do you see a room that you would be a crazy man to try to walk into on your own merit, on your own terms? Do you see this room? I want you to come up here. If you're here this morning, I, well, if you're hearing this, obviously you are here this morning. If, you, if you're here this morning... I'm not trying to put you over a barrel, but I just would wish you'd come back next week because we stay in the throne room next week. And what you're going to find is there's another one that the 24 elders worship. There's another one that the four living creatures bow down before and love and honor and thank. And he looks like a lamb that got killed. Why did the lamb get killed? So that people who yell at children, so that people who steal at work, so that people who look at pornography, that people who have secret addictions, so that they can go in that room. And if God is that powerful and God is that good, wouldn't you want to know Him and know that you're right with Him? That He can be holy, 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 and you can fail And He can not only cleanse you and change you, but He can begin to work in your life and produce holiness in your life. Wouldn't that be the greatest thing ever? If you're here and you are a Christian, as if it's the first time, I can't make you respond that way, but my prayer has been, as if you're hearing it for the first time, look at what Jesus is making possible for us so that the writer of the Hebrews says that because of what Jesus did for people like us, you can go before that throne with confidence. Do you know where our prayers end up when they just float out into the air? That room. Do you know where our worship goes with all its, all its shortcomings? That room. And everything that's wrong and earthy and crummy and messed up about it is made beautiful through the work of Christ and it goes in that room. And He delights in it. And I want to end with this. I keep saying that I think this whole fall is just to get excited about Christmas. Just let these words ring in your ears. He calls you one and He calls you all to gain His everlasting hall. Wouldn't you love to be in that room and to feast and to bow down? Would that not be life itself? That's what Christ came to do. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we can't feel as we ought. We can't hear as we ought.
We can't repent as we ought. Only you can break through and change our unbelief or stale, cold, lukewarm hearts, cynicism. Lord, please, through your word, break through. Let us see the great God you always have been, that you always will be, that you are right now. Let us see the precious Lamb of God saying, come up here. We pray in His name. Amen. To what we've just heard...